welcome to Destination Change, a podcast where we talk recovery, treatment, and more. I'm your host, Angie Fiedler-Sutton, with the National Behavioral Health Association Providers. Our guest today is Zach Spauer. He is nomadic in nature and presently resides in Bali, Indonesia, after living in a variety of states around the USA. He is open about his 16 years of recovery from alcohol and other drugs with a sobriety date of 11-28, November 28, 2006, and as such has adopted the name Nomadic Addict to account for his lifestyle and passions. He has been successful in numerous departments within the behavioral health care industry. He has experience in clinical services, compliance, quality assurance, program development, and business management and strategy. He dedicates his time to the addiction and behavioral health care industry, focusing on assisting clients slash patients and landing at the best quality programs around the world uh, through means of digital content. He accomplishes this as the Director of Operations for Addiction Recovery, a company that specializes in organic recovery-oriented content for web pages and blogs written by writers in recovery. Thanks for joining us, Zach. Thanks so much for having me, Angie. I appreciate being here. For those who are new to the podcast, we always start with the question, kind of your your sobriety origin story, so to speak. So tell me kind of your experience. You mentioned that you, you know, you've been sober since uh, November 28th, 2006. Congratulations, first of all. Kind of how your recovery journey and, and, and how you got into recovery and that kind of stuff. Yeah, thanks for the question. Um, yeah, when it comes to my journey in particular, it's pretty interesting. I, you know, obviously, you know, tell people I didn't make plans. I'm sure most of us don't to get sober, but definitely not at the age of 21. I got sober three months after my 21st birthday, never to drink again, at least uh, just for today, up until today. Obviously, that wasn't wasn't in the cards. It wasn't something I really expected was going to be, you know, something that was going to impact my life. I, I did not think that, you know, getting sober was going to lead to 16, almost 17 years at this point. And, and at 37 years old, I'd be saying that, you know, I haven't had a drink since I was 21. Uh, it's pretty crazy when you look at it that way. But also, one of my greatest blessings is, is I hear a lot of people in recovery speak to. Uh, obviously, didn't know it at the time. But definitely grateful for my sobriety, grateful for my recovery today. And and when it comes to a bit of my origin story about it, you know, really quickly without getting into a thorough drunkalogue that'll take up the length of the podcast, uh, you know, I struggle a lot with anxiety. And a big part of calming my mind was uh, it was explained to me if I if I drank and taught to me rather, you know, I could sort of turn my mind off a little bit. And so it was explained to me later that drinking was my solution to the problem, which was life. And that really resonated with me in the sense of living life on life's terms and, and for me finding ways to be able to quiet the mind a bit. And so, but anyways, at the, you know, 13, 14, 15 years old, when I was starting to get exposed to these things, uh, drinking really helped me um, accomplish that. And then definitely as I got older through high schools, through some of the challenges and through college, it, it was my solution, uh, girlfriends, dances, things of that nature, but eventually, obviously, became my problem and, and rapidly my problem. And so, yeah, I got, you know, after getting into a bit of legal mischief, being under the influence and stuff, which I like to say that my higher power showed up in, in the form of police officers and, and guided me with handcuffs. It was, uh, you know, led to me getting and going to treatments from, you know, an accident I was responsible for that, that had some felony probation attached to it. And if it wasn't for those mandates at, at 21 years old, there's there's no way I would have stayed sober. I'm, I wholeheartedly believe that. It was, I needed that strong consequence. A teacher of mine um, from Hazelden Betty Ford, which is where I got one of my later degrees from, told me, used the terminology, you know, uh, having a back problem. And I really resonated with that. You know, he had the, the courts on his back, you know, the lawyers on his back, the, the parents on the back. And that was my story. I, I definitely came in with a back problem. 
uh, having all that stuff on my back. And I'm grateful for that. So it's a bit about my origin story and what led to me getting sober and, and why I stayed sober. Well, and how did that transform into your career to get use that as part of your recovery into the recovery space? Yeah, great question. You know, actually, for the first few years of my sobriety and recovery, I did not want to work in the industry at all. If anything, I, I, straw, I saw wholeheartedly in the treatment space how chaotic that looked, how much was going on, people relapsing around me, people sneaking, you know, drugs into treatment. I'm like, this is nuts. I want nothing to do with this space. You know, I, I thought I'd be a banker or something. You never know. But it was, so it was about at the five-year sober mark, I was actually flying helicopters, believe it or not, trying to get into the to the military, which is my family had uh, you know, a little bit of a history of that. Long story short, that didn't pan out. And so I was flying flying helicopters for a couple of years trying to uh, beef up my resume for that opportunity to, to, to join. And I just didn't feel like it was the right calling. And I got turned on to uh, an opportunity to be a behavioral health technician, a BHT or a house manager, whatever people call them these days, depending on the program. You know, just sort of your entry level, you know, $10, $12 an hour position working in a treatment facility on an afternoon shift. And I'm like, you know what, this seems like uh, something I, I want to just try out. You know, I was a bit lost. I was college grad. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And it really seemed to be a good opportunity for me to, to give it a shot. So I did and slowly but surely worked my way back up. And that led to me applying for uh, an advanced degree um, at Hazelden, now Hazelden Betty Ford in Minnesota, getting some education from there. And then that led to me becoming a, a full-blown counselor clinician, which led to more and more and more. <laughs> well, and that kind of leads to the nomadic addict. You have a blog that you uh, have named after that. Kind of tell me how you decided to start that and what made what prompted that. What made you think that that would be something worth doing? Yeah, thanks, Angie. Um, yeah, so nomadic addict for me was a name that just came to me. I think overnight, you know, right before I was getting ready for bed one night and. It just, it just seems so applicable, plus it kind of sounded relatively catchy, but obviously representing just the nomadic lifestyle, which I really gravitate towards, I, I find a lot of healing in connecting with people. You know, it was explained to me also in my recovery that addiction is uh, being cut off from people and uh, recovery is connection. And so uh, I find a lot of connection in my travels and in, in meeting new people and exploring different cultures and uh, really finding my zest for life in my travel. And so capturing that in a platform that I could give to others is really important to me and will continue to be important to me. Well, my primary gig is through digital content with addiction recovery, as I mentioned, my passion project and hopefully my long-term project that I want to continue to build out. It, you know, my goal is to be, you know, a nonprofit or charity based that could sponsor people's travels, their mental wellness, maybe even interventions, help people get treatment, potentially even scholarships for education. A lot of these things that I've done and have found success in is what I want Nomadic Addict to, to eventually offer people. And so when I started getting the idea, I started, you know, I had some friends and family that were like, you know what, you do some cool stuff, like you should really share it with people. And so that that launched the web page. And then the things I've learned from addiction recovery allows me the opportunity to to apply that knowledge to, you know, the, the open worldwide web as it were. And so we'll see where it goes, but, you know, I would love to extend things that bring me a lot of joy, peace and happiness and freedom that I've learned through my recovery and sobriety to other people to experience the same. And that's what Nomadic Addict is really about. As a writer myself, I'm never a big fan of where do you get your ideas because I know it always depends. But kind of walk me through some of the the posts that you have done and you know what prompted that and what prompted you to write about one thing versus another. 
Yeah. So a lot of it is just experience based. I mean, I think one of my first ones was, you know, uh, travel oriented, you know, for people that are, are open to the idea of, you know, how you travel. It's very much not an uncommon thing, especially post COVID. Everybody's traveling these days, you know, you get influencers left and right popping up and, and that's great. You know, I think uh, lean into it for everyone. Uh, so a travel vlog or a travel blog is definitely not uncommon, but that added element, my hope is of speaking to the recovery piece, speaking to the sobriety piece, speaking to the ability to travel sober, get on a long haul flight, even if you are inherently anxious like myself and may or may not feel super comfortable with that or getting off of the plane and then being like, I don't know the language. I don't know the culture. I don't know anything except for my, you know, I don't even know where to get my SD card, you know, just being able to speak to some of these things for, okay, how do we get people set up to, or SIM card rather, get them set up to uh, get plugged in, get internet, find a place to stay, you know, where do they go? And so some of the basic fundamentals of travel, and then also highlighting some really cool things around fear. I've really learned to lean into my fear, which is, um, you know, they can say, uh, you know, face everything and recover, uh, you know, in the element of one of the acronyms for fear, which I really like. And so that's kind of a, something I really choose to lean into. And so there, one of my blogs is on shark diving, which you, I think CCAP uh, or Elements of Pete Nielsen had actually uh, promoted that on one of the uh, websites, which I really appreciated uh, that, that you guys have a uh, recovery site. But and really just speaking to that, I never thought I'd be in the water with a 12, 14, 16 foot shark pretty much face to face, you know, thinking that was a good idea, <laughs> let alone, you know, actively pursuing that with other people thinking that was a good idea. And, uh, you know, while that doesn't have to be for everyone, for sure, and I'm not trying to, you know, flex on anybody as like, oh, look at how cool I am. It's the purpose of it is really to highlight that was something I never, ever thought in my wildest dreams I would do, sober or otherwise. I definitely thought it wouldn't be sober if I ever was going to do it. So to lean into those things and to be able to capture that in a blog and, and through a message to hopefully translate to other people is really what, again, my focus is about to hopefully encourage and inspire and motivate people to to go out there, whatever that shark might be for them, go out there and, and, and get face to face with it and, and, and have a good time in the process. Talk a little bit more about your other content creation. What exactly do you do? I mean, to put it in a nutshell. Yeah. So from the addiction recovery side of things, you know, we, we're writers in recovery, uh, you know, overseeing the operations there is my primary gig that we, uh, we, we write for treatment facilities. We write for, uh, you know, interventionists. We write for mental health professionals. We write for even some uh, alternative uh, platforms, you know, mental health programming, um, autism and, and senior care. And these are people whose lives are touched by recovery or actively in recovery. Um, you know, writing, editing, publishing blogs and, and web pages so that we can help people find the resources that they need. And, and that's ultimately what this is about. Google's primary purpose is to give the best information for its users. And so if we write to give the best information for people on these subjects, then it, Google's going to hopefully provide that information for its users. When you go to type in those 2 a.m. questions about, you know, uh, whatever those may be, uh, you know, something around recovery or, you know, where is it possible to get sober at 21 years old or something, right? And you have a blog about that with information about it, driving to a program that, you know, we, we vet because we won't work with just any program. Uh, we we want to know that we would send people to these places ourselves and feel good about that. And so our, our whole belief system is, uh, you know, casting life-saving content into a sea of digital misinformation. And we know that in this world, this digital space that we live in, there's so much garbage out there. 
And one of my favorite quotes is really a meme, uh, but it's got Abraham Lincoln's face uh, saying that you can believe everything you read on the internet. That's one of my all-time favorite things. You know, I wish I could put it on for this because it's uh, it's so funny because it's amazing how much that glosses over people's eyes when they first look at it. Like they don't even register that clearly Abraham Lincoln was not around for the internet and clearly you cannot read or believe everything you read on the internet. So, you know, that truthful information, that grounded information, that researched information that is hopefully going to drive people to, you know, good, good programs and also give them good information, that altruistic marketing technique. And Nomadic Addict is no different. I apply what I've learned from addiction recovery and from the CEO, Wes Jones, who's a great guy. I know you guys are connected with him, too, in some regards. He, um, you know, is really big on just good works in the space and in the industry and helping people. and. Nomadic addicts born from that as well, you know, trying to provide the same mission and belief. Well, uh, speaking of resources, what are some of the ones that you either use yourself or that you recommend on a regular basis? So obviously, you know, so I'm on the board for BHAP and BHAP now in that uh, obviously I have my attachment to CCAP and uh, I know there's some affiliations here, but that's um, a great resource. Uh, Pete Nielsen himself is a fantastic resource. You guys are all amazing resources. So those are certainly top of my list, top of mind. There are some good uh, opportunities out there. You know, Joint Commission will list uh, accredited programs, although we all know that just because you're accredited doesn't necessarily mean that you're the best program. There are ways to get accredited without necessarily still being maybe the best ones. So if you're talking about resources of programs specifically, you know, a lot of that really boils down to, you know, finding Finding good content online can can be a good driver, uh, but also calling and asking really detail-oriented questions, making sure that the people that are answering the phones understand and know about the programs themselves. Um, you'd be surprised how many of them do not. But yeah, there are there are there's a lot out there, so I don't want to overwhelm and take up the whole call with trying to answer this. But I think really speaking to people that are coming from a good-hearted place, in, in the simplest form, an answer can be your best way to find. Uh, good resources. And, and that's why, you know, I led with Pete, I led with CCAP, I led with, with BHAP. There's a reason why I enjoy being with you guys as well, because I know and I trust you. And, and there's some good people out there that, that will make sure you land at the right programs in the right places. And so happy to be a resource to anybody uh, out there through uh, Nomadic Addict as well. Um, you know, you can reach out to me directly if, if you have any questions on that. Otherwise, again, it'll take up the whole the whole time trying to sort through ways and manners of which you can find the best programs out there. But there are some good programs, but good trustworthy people are usually going to be your best bet because unfortunately, just wrapping up that question, programs are constantly changing hands these days too, and it can be hard to keep up with. And if you don't have your finger on the pulse of who's still the owner of which programs, um, you know, things can change seemingly overnight. So yeah, happy to be a resource. And I know you guys probably feel the same way as well. In terms of, you had mentioned the meme of, you know, you can't believe everything that you see on the internet, as said by Abraham Lincoln. What are some of the ways you kind of verify that what you're doing is is accurate just for, for people who might be listening? So for me, it's really, it's easy when it's coming from me because I know that I'm getting grounded in my own research and my own experience. And I'm speaking from a place of I experientially with regard to my own life, my own journey, my own uh, experiences, as I mentioned. So I'm not going to go out of my way to, you know, try to fabricate anything or speak to something that's going to be different because it is grounded in, in those experiences. 
when it applies to like an addiction recovery platform or with our other writers, you know, all of our stuff goes through editors. It goes through quality assurance platforms. And a lot of which I guess credit to LegitScript there, you know, we only utilize certain platforms. So we're not going to refer or link to a random platform. It's got to be a .gov. It has to be one of the approved links. It's got to be published with scholarly articles that, that are published with, with certain approvals. And so there's things out there that are checks and balances in place to make sure that it's not going to just be random information in the sea of digital misinformation. But that's certainly a great question. I'm really glad that you asked that. And I hope a lot of people will ask that question and research more for themselves because, again, anybody can write a blog and anybody can make it out to sound really good and anybody can skew it in such a way to make it seem like it's 100% genuine. Matter of fact, without going down a rabbit hole of, of uh, AI with uh, chat GPT these days, that's a big area that people really need more education on because chat GPT is designed to be a writing communication-based algorithm. It's not even technically artificial intelligence. It doesn't think independently. It only knows to communicate back to us within certain parameters that are pre-programmed based off of information up until 2021. As you know, Angie, we're in 2023. So there's already going to be outdated information. There's already going to be recycled old information. And while it can be repeated back to you in a way that sounds very good and reads very well, it makes it seem very, very believable. It doesn't mean it's actually true, which is where that whole Abraham Lincoln meme comes in. And uh, BARD, which is uh, Google's new algorithm to compete with ChatGPT, was when they showcased it in a Paris launch that they had, you know, they were basically called out in real time for errors that they made, Bard had made, which is the chat GPT, you know, fighter on, on their algorithmic based platform. And it just had misinformation. It, you know, people were raising their hand like that's, that's not true. That's, this is not correct. And they, and they had to preface it and they continue to preface it with like, well, this is learning. This is just information. You're participating in a platform that is learning for the future. And that's fine. And that's why they tell you, even the CEO of ChatGPT will tell you, like, if you're going to use this to help with brainstorming or X, Y, and Z type of things, great. That's what it's there for. But do not use this to write books. Do not use this to write, you know, do anything professional or or medically inclined. There's all these things that he'll tell you uh, as the CEO of this thing. Don't do it for these reasons. And yet programs, unfortunately, will do it. They lean into it as though it's gospel because it's cheaper or it's easier or it just reads well and they don't want to believe that it's not the end all be all. Uh, Maybe one day it will be, you know, I do believe wholeheartedly that, you know, that's the direction we're going, you know, and it might be three years. It could be one year. It could be five years. You know, AI will be a thing. True artificial intelligence will be a thing. And it's amazing. It's not there yet though. It is just a repeated algorithm mathematically based to communicate back to us. And that means it doesn't have its own intelligence That means it's going to take old recycled information that has a high likelihood of not being accurate is going to be in that space of a sea of digital misinformation. So I hope that that answers your question. If it doesn't feel free to ask me more and I'll keep rambling about some other stuff and try to try to answer it for you. Yep, that's exactly what I was hoping for. The name of the podcast, as you know, is Destination Change. We talk about the addiction treatment journey. Since you are the nomadic addict too, kind of talk a little bit more about that, about how addiction can also be a journey and what does it mean to go through treatment and recovery and how that applies to what you do. I love it. Yeah, when I started Nomadic Addict, my first tagline was uh, Sober Global Travel Possible. 
and I had some people sort of make fun of that. They said it was a tongue twister. So I swapped it out for adventures and recovery and, and journeys and recovery and th- things of what you're touching on right now. And so I think, you know, just speaking to the question directly, I mean, I think there's so much that goes into the journey of life, not to pontificate or, or you know, get too philosophical here because I'll do that. I, I love doing that. But I, I think everyone's journey is going to be for themselves. And while there is overlap in treatment about how we are approached and there is this idea of client-centered treatment, which I do believe exists. But again, for those of you out there listening, looking for resources, make sure you ask that question. What are they actually doing for your client-centered treatment? Because that's a good buzzword out there these days. But there, there is inherently something that differentiates us there's for all of us there's there's things out there that that make us independent makes us great makes us who we are and that's one of my favorite things about human beings and, and and cultures and diversity and and travel is 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 tapping into that and seeing what makes us different and unique and and how we can learn from each other as a result of that the way that we see the world differently the way we experience the world differently and so when it comes to, to journeys through treatment and when it comes to journeys through sobriety and recovery each person has their own, you know, and it can be directed and guided through a sponsor, through technicians, through therapists, through, you know, resources, um, you know, other friends that have walked this road before them. And yet each person has their own path. Some people are going to have kids in their sobriety and that's a part of their story. Some people are going to have it, uh, you know, families later. Some people are going to be, I'm, I'm still solo, you know, solo traveler. Some people would never want to be a solo traveler. They'd want to travel in groups or do certain things in groups. I, for one, have really learned to find myself in my recovery and groundedness in myself and autonomy in myself and faith and belief in myself. And that's a part of, you know, my higher power and my connection with, again, with my recovery and, and grounded in, in my sobriety and a belief in the abilities that, that it affords me these days. But all of that, I guess, just trying to speak to the point is going to be driven from within is what I'm trying to really highlight. And, and that's, I believe, inherently for each person, for them to find out throughout their journey and their recovery. And I think it's also kind of the scariest part of this is like, wait a minute, like, I have to have the answers, like, you can't give them to me. It's like, well, yeah, like, you know, we have some ideas, some rough ideas out there of what your answers might look like. Like we know 90 and 90 for, for AARs out there, you know, 90 meetings, 90 days. And we know the 12 steps seem to work for most people if you do them and work it, if, it works if you work it type stuff. But the truth of the depths of each of us, I think, is in our journey independently is we got to, we got to, the answers are within and we got to, you know, go within or go without is, uh, is another, you know, I got all these AA sayings that go through my head and these days I'm grateful for that. And what I've learned in my recovery and my sobriety is part of my story, but I really like that saying too. Like if we, if we don't go within, then we go without. And so leaning into that for our own journey and listening to that inner voice, listening to what drives us, listening to our passion. Um, again, back to nomadic addict and I love addiction recovery for that reason. And, and, and having a boss and a friend who supports me in that platform because that is my passion project. You know, I love what I do in, in, in addiction recovery as well. And I want to extend that further into a calling that I believe is inherently within me that I want to honor that space for myself as part of my recovery in that journey. So, but that's all founded step by step. You know, um, that's something that people need to really, I believe, not put too much pressure on themselves to have within 30 days or 60 days or 90 days, you know. Benchmarks are great. Checkpoints are great. Five-year plans are great. 
but be okay with going along for the ride. You know, things change, you know, that, that whole saying of I make plans and God just laughs. Like it's, uh, I've had a lot of five-year plans, Angie, and I don't think I'm doing any of them. So it's, uh, you know, just an example of, you know, the journey. And that's, that's what it is. It's, it's, you know, we trudge the, the road of, of this happy destiny. And, and that's what this is about. Just taking steps in a certain direction, trusting and having faith one day at a time, one minute at a time, sometimes not knowing what that's always going to look like and, and walking in that faith, you know, that, that there's something out there that hopefully is driving us the right direction with purpose. And I hope that that speaks to it a little bit, but I think that that journey really can be, it doesn't have to be in treatment. It doesn't have to be in AA. Um, for me, that's part of my story and, and, and it's what's been a grounded foundation for me. So I speak to that a lot, but some people do find it through therapy. They'll find it through other evidence-based practices. They'll find it through close friends. They'll find it through reading books, self-help books. And, and some people find it in travel and, and, and or all the above, right? And I think that's the beauty in this is, you know, to thine own self be true is one of my favorite quotes as well. Like listen to listen to yourself and, and honor the journey and have patience with yourself and, and trust the process as it unfolds uh, without putting too much pressure. And I'm going to come out amazed before we're halfway through. Look at me. It's just a, just AA and, 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 and sober. And, you know, this is. That's exactly what I'm looking for, though. Uh, well, and that you kind of touched on this, but um, you know, every journey is not smooth. Obviously, what are some of the barriers that you personally maybe have come across to move forward, or that you've seen others come across, and how do you kind of see a good way to to uh, overcome those barriers? Yeah, I thank you for that question too. Yeah, barriers show up in so many different ways. That um, you know, whether it can be a relationship. Uh, which is often uh, something that can can be run into. For me, I had obviously my felony probation. Um, those were certain barriers going back in time to my early days of sobriety. Different locations can be a barrier. Fear is a barrier. Change is a barrier. I mean, I take up the rest of the podcast talking about barriers. So I love this question. I think for me, it's it goes back to, and I don't want to recycle my answers too much, but but just what I was just touching on about to thine own self be true and listening to yourself. Because inherently that, that inner voice that drives you, not necessarily the inner critic, but the inner voice that guides and, and, and leads us around what, what you know our, is our true passion, our true calling, I think can, can pull us over, lift us over some of those barriers and, and, and draw us past them. And so should I be in this place or should I go to another place or, or should I stay in this relationship or, or should I move on or how am I going to get through this felony probation that was five years and seemingly daunting or, or a house arrest for four months, you know, not being able to leave my home and, and staying sober through those things. These are all things that are barriers that, that, that can be blocks and, and not having a license for two years while also having to get to AA meetings and, and school and DUI classes. And these are all barriers. And I know a lot of which can be accomplished these days with Ubers, but, uh, you know, the old school days was a bicycle and, you know, the whole walking uphill both ways in the snow type story. There are always barriers, always barriers. But if we think about how we drank and, and potentially use drugs, and I really think to the ingenuity of what is inherent within most alcoholics or addicts, if you identify with those labels, just human beings, if you don't, it's just like where there's a will, there's a way. And people are amazing in the sense of how they're, they're able to uh, find ways to 
really have a solution, have an answer, have a resource. You know, people that get trapped in, in the hills and survive in these mountains are, you know, stuck. I mean, again, you, there's story after story after story of how amazing human beings are lost at sea, you know, adrift. And, um, you know, this is why we love our Netflix uh, shows and our documentaries. And so many of these things are based on true stories because the resiliency that lives within us as human beings and, and in recovery is is enough to push us past any and all barriers. I, I truly believe, and that's been a part of my experience too, one step at a time, well, you know, not putting too much pressure on ourselves. You know, time takes time, as they say. And, you know, I didn't get where I'm at today overnight. And um, and I don't know where I'm going to be, you know, years from now, but um, it's, it takes time. And I know, though, that the, that pull, that the calling, that those barriers don't have to be barriers. You know, you can be pulled or blocked or lifted over any of them. Uh, if, if you're driven to do so. When you first started talking about your origin story, you mentioned that you were in recovery at age 21. That's, you, you know, obviously that for at least the U.S., the age to become eligible, uh, you know, uh, old enough to drink, supposedly. Talk a little bit about, you know, what it was like to, to go through recovery so young and, and at that age when, you know, mo- more people are kind of leaping into that aspect of life. Yeah, 21, like, like I said, when I started off, I wasn't, it definitely wasn't part of the plan to get sober at such a young age. I certainly did not expect that it, that would carry on to the point that it has. And, uh, you know, just get more AA talk there around just for today. It's, it really has been minutes at a time, seconds at a time, especially in the early stages. And, and so I, I really appreciate the question because for a lot of people, there's this whole idea, especially attached to, the identification or the labeling of uh, addict or alcoholic that can be really tough to swallow. And I've run into that with a number of people, not the least of which is a really close friend of mine right now. Uh, and that's one of his greatest barriers is just wrapping his head around that, that title or that, that uh, uh, label. And, and so especially at 21 years old, you know, this idea of, you know, alcoholic or, or, or drug addict it can be tough at any age, but, but at a young age, it's like, I haven't even legally been allowed to do this. Like, what are you talking about? And, but the funny thing is around that, and we know this to be true, legal or not, it doesn't make a difference. You know, an addictive substance or an addictive personality or an addictive person is, is, is inherently within that person. And, and so to discover that in an earlier age, it's, it's kind of almost synonymous with discovering like your, your purpose or your calling at a young age. And so it's cool in that respect. Of course, I didn't notice it at the time, but it's cool to, to see it now in the sense of like being able to be gifted with something that was seemingly a curse at the time, but now being able to look back and be like, wow, that was really, really something special to be turned on to at such a young age. But getting sober at that age, again, the mentality attached to that is, is not easy. So speaking directly to that, you know, most people at 21 are just ramping up their drinking. Or if they're late to the game because they weren't drinking alcoholically potentially before, then they might just now be leading into drinking. And so certain things start to come into question, like, you know, what will your friendships look like? What will the social life look like? What will the fun look like? What will traveling look like? It's not uncommon for 21-year-olds to go on spring break to certain party destinations. You know, we see these things on TV all the time and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, You know, obviously it's go have fun, do whatever. That's why they exist. However, if it's trying to be sober like me, 
you know, Cancun Spring Break or Cabo Spring Break is probably not the best place to end up at. You know, they're, they're, in, in, when you apply that to the college setting, going back to college, learning how to be a student and trying to be sober at a young age is tough. A lot of people are like, hey, let's go out at, you know, nine or 10 o'clock at night. So speaking directly to my solution, I just started to lean into things that were important to me and that I knew would be fruitful. Uh, they say self-esteem is built on esteemable acts. And so I started to think like, okay, what was going to make me feel better about the things I was doing? And one of the colleges I went to, so I bounced around quite a bit in my early recovery and, and definitely in my early drinking days, offered spring breaks where we got to do like some some trips uh, in Mexico where we got to provide like medical aid or build homes or do some things like that. And so in my uh, sobriety, that was an example of something I did to sort of stay away from some downtime where I could maybe get into trouble or some other people might be going to, you know, maybe one of these party destinations and I could be tempted. You know, I went, I went and I built some homes for spring break and, and that was an amazing experience. And typically the people that you associate with those things aren't running around trying to get drunk or, or do drugs, you know, they're, they're trying to do something different. And so associating with those people was, was huge for me. And, and obviously, you know, I came back from that spring break really recharged and really, really, really excited and grateful and passionate and, and inherently more driven to, to find more about my purpose and more about myself. And it strengthened my sobriety. It strengthened my recovery as opposed to the opposite, really testing it. And other things, you know, it might sound goofy, but there was a, there was a country line dancing, two-stepping place that was uh, nearby the college I went to in Santa Barbara. And, you know, again, at 20, I wasn't 21 at that time, but at 20, you know, it was 24, 25, you know, being able to, to go out and, and, and go dancing, but go with a purpose. You know, people, a lot of people were standing around holding a beer, looking at the dance floor. And I was the guy that was out there on the dance floor. You didn't get there early and you take lessons and and have a good time. And, you know, when midnight rolled around or whatever, they say nothing good happens after midnight. You know, I go home. Like, you know, it's like 11 or 12 o'clock. I didn't need to be there anymore. I'd had my fun. You know, I got there at six or seven and I'd taken some lessons and I'd met some good people. And, uh, you know, and that was for me, again, very protective of my sobriety and, and also very grounding for me because I didn't feel like some people will say you have to associate only with sober people if you're going to be sober. And I have no qualms with that. I think, you know, if that works for you, do it. Um, and I certainly had times and elements where, where that was my saving grace. There's things like Icky Paw, you know, these conventions for for young people. Um, there's local conferences. There's lots of stuff you can do to have fun and sobriety at young ages. There's young person meetings that you can go to. There's an arsenal, an army of of, uh, of, of things out there that, that, that you can find an army of people out there that, that are young in recovery that you can have support uh, with as well. And if you also want to associate with, you know, the, the quote unquote normie. And I don't know that that's even a really good word to use. It's amazing how that'll actually offend some people that are, that aren't alcoholic or addict. They'll be like, I'm not a normie. And you're like, okay, fine. You're not normal. I'm sorry. I'll never say that again. Uh, but it's uh, kind of that, that, that phrase that we've coined in the rooms of people that aren't alcoholic or, or, or drug addicts, but there's plenty of room to associate uh, with people who I, who don't identify is my point. Um, and, and to have fun and to not have to be triggered. And, and I found that through some of the, some of the, the means that I mentioned earlier, you know, and, and just trying to see like, what's my purpose for going to this place and, and what do I want to accomplish? And, and I, again, had a really good time. It, it gave me more confidence. It gave me more social skills. It gave me more 
more groundedness in my recovery, uh, which led to me believing like, hey, I can have fun and I can remember everything I'm doing and I can feel really good about what I'm doing and and I can really wholeheartedly enjoy my sobriety and my recovery. So for anyone out there that's you know listening that is um, younger in nature or somebody who knows someone who's struggling, who's younger in nature uh, with this, it's, it's definitely possible. And I, I try to I'll wrap up the question with this, like, I, I meet people today who will say, you know, 50 years old or 60 years old or whatever in the rooms, you know, I wish I got it at your age. And it really, well, in some regards, I'm, you know, sad for them that they have to say that, you know, to each their own in terms of their own journey. I really appreciate and I'm grateful for that reminder from them because it helps me feel really grounded and appreciative of the fact that I did get this at a young age. And to, to think from that perspective, which is how I started the answer of like, wow, what a, what a gift and what a blessing this is. It's like someone really tapping you into a, a superpower of getting in touch with yourself really early on is a great blessing. So I hope people will hear that in the sense of like, you know, getting sober young can be a challenge. And it's also this amazing gift and opportunity in the sense that if that's the road we're headed down, you know, there's a trap door to every bottom. There's an elevator only goes down. Like which, which floor do you want to get off at? Like, you know, you don't have to keep riding it down, um, down, down, uh, deeper and deeper. We can, we can get off when we decide we want to. And, uh, so that's, you know, part of my story and something I would offer up to other people is, is to lean into the hope and, and just know that there's a lot of fun that can be had out there. And I've done over 40 countries, you know, I've, I've flown helicopters. I've, I have, you know, over 300 dives, scuba diving, um, you know, a laundry list of things I did, almost all of which was done sober, close to none of it was done while I was under active um, active addiction and active drinking. So the world really opens up and life really opens up, I think, uh, when, when we get sober, if we allow it. Do you have a favorite sober destination? <sighs> Good question. I get asked that a lot. It really depends on what you want out of life. I think my favorite destination that has just about everything is Japan when people ask me. But anywhere and everywhere I've gone, I've been able to find good people and I've been able to find sober people. Uh, the rooms of AA are everywhere. But, you know, even people, you know, just if you're open about who you are and uh, I've, I've met people that just don't drink, you know, just don't drink. And, and we share that passion, that story around. But I, I've shared sailboats and sailing journeys with people that are sober. I've I've had people invite me to their villas to meet their family or pick me up from the airport. That was a connection through sobriety that have changed and shifted my life completely, um, that have extended themselves to me on, on one or two FaceTime calls uh, just because we share that inherently. Um, and, you know, there's a laundry list of those types of stories that happen. It's pretty amazing when we open ourselves up to those opportunities. But yeah, I would say just in a nutshell, the shortest answer would be Japan's a pretty special place. There's a lot there. Um, highly, highly recommend that to anybody that want to go. And then is there a place or a activity that is on your bucket list that you haven't done yet that you're, that you really would like to do? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I'm knocking that bucket list off pretty quick about as quick as i can write them down I, i'm really trying to live for the moment these days and uh especially being a digital nomad it, it affords me that opportunity and, and, and nomadic addict i really can you know I'm, I'm extending in hawaii here after was only going to come here for a week and i'm going on three months you know still working my way back to bali so it's so a short answer for that would be it's pretty cool to say that at the at the, the present moment 
aside from just experiencing more journeys and more travel, no, you know, maybe, maybe Tonga and more whale swims. The whale swims are pretty special. You get a chance to do that. Those things, those creatures are pretty, pretty amazing. Now, if someone wants to learn more about you or learn more about what you do, uh, what's the best way they can get a hold of you or visit, you know, website and stuff like that? Yeah, thanks for asking. Yeah, so I, I, it's just me, one, one man band, as it, as it were. So reach out to me directly. You don't have to go to any, any, uh, you know, screening process or any assistance. Uh, um, it's just uh, info at nomadicaddict.com, uh, spelled with two T's is uh how you can find me uh, or nomadic addict uh again spelled with two t's at the end dot um, com is my website there's opportunities there to email me directly i'm also slowly working on building a campaign to sponsor people's travels and uh and or assist with some of their mental uh health and, and wellness so um keep an eye out for some opportunities to donate to that and uh there's a link up for now but um we're going to keep keep moving forward and, and hopefully see who we can help. But yeah, uh, those are probably the best means of, to find me. Also Instagram, uh, at Nomadic Addict. So is my handle. YouTube, all the same. Dare I ask why the extra T? Because <laughs> one's never enough. No, <laughs> uh, thousands too many. One's never enough. No, that's a great question. And the short answer is is that I just, uh, uh, I couldn't ha- I couldn't have the handle um, okay. people own them on different platforms and for consistency. Um, uh, I wanted to just have that, but yeah, no, there's, uh, I figured it was probably something like that. Yeah, but I wanted to there wasn't some sort of symbolism or yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's never enough. That's what I'm going for now. Okay. Anything else that you'd like to talk about? No, open-ended questions. Uh, no, I'm just, I'm a big believer that, you know, answers are within and, uh, you know, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to be here and, and, and to speak with you. And I love the work that you guys are doing. I'm honored to be a part of it and uh, to show up in any way that I can. And I'm just happy to be a resource to anybody who's out there in any way that I can. Well, you've been listening to Destination Change. Our guest today was Zach Spowart. Thanks for being here. Our theme song was Kita by Sun Nation and used via Creative Commons license by the Free Music Archive. Please consider rating and reviewing the podcast on Apple Podcasts so we can get more listeners. In the meantime, you can always see more about the podcast, including show notes, transcripts, and where else to listen to on our website, www.nbhap.org. If you have any questions for the podcast, please email us at info at nbhap.org. Thanks for listening.